Welcome to Unshushed, a podcast for teachers, librarians, and lovers of young adult lit. I'm Erin, a middle school librarian, and today I'm going to talk about Opposite of Always by Justin A. Reynolds. I'm Shirley, a high school librarian. I'm going to talk about Gender, Your Guide by Lee Ayrton. My name is Laura Gladney-Lemon. I'm a high school librarian, and I'm going to talk about Sadie by Courtney Summers. I'm Katrina, and I'm going to be talking about Kristen Strong, Punches a Hole in the Sky by Kwame Mambalia. All right, so, um, so this is Shirley. I'm going to go outside my norm and talk about a nonfiction book today. The book is called Gender, Your Guide. It's by Lee Ayrton. He's a PhD uh, professor. Sorry, I used the wrong pronoun. He goes by they. Um, and this book, I really, I read it because I am trying to do better by my non-conforming students. And uh, I think this is really a no-nonsense guide to gender. It's a great book for folks trying to learn how to be more gender-friendly. It contains suggestions, good suggestions, I think, for gender-neutral words. It does a pretty good job of opening up the transgender spectrum beyond the definitions most people are familiar with. And it does include non-binary and other terms that are not new necessarily, but definitely less well-known. I think the author did a good job of covering the material. He gave, a pretty good, he gave pretty good examples and strategies for people like me, and he kept the overall tone pretty light, which is also good because that can, that can be a hard to when you're reading a nonfiction book. Personally, I really think it helped me be a better, more inclusive educator. I'm really passionate about wanting to make my library a safe space for everyone, and this book is going to help me do that, I think. I highly recommend it to anyone looking to learn more um, how to be more gender-friendly. I, I believe it's appropriate for adults and high school students. I think it's probably also okay for mature middle students. Um, what do you think, Erin? Uh, I know you're reading this as well. I actually am, and I'm, I'm kind of sad that Darcy's not here today because Darcy and I and another librarian in our district are using this book as our book study for our personalized professional learning this year. So I've read it, but I'm sort of dissecting it, I guess, and really deeply discussing it. I wish I had known that you could have been in on this with us. Yeah, I totally would have, yeah. So one thing that I really love, first off, is that Dr. Ayrton is a professor of education. So as an educator, I feel like this is a really good book if you are an educator for looking at broadening your horizons and your vocabulary and being more inclusive and, and, and learning and understanding terms that go beyond just he and she. Dr. Ayrton uses they, them pronouns also. I, yeah, I feel like it's a like, hey, you don't know, here you go. You know, it's, right. it just, it seemed like it's perfectly titled gender, your guide kind of like, okay, well, you know, there are some things that I don't know and I want to understand both my students and people in general. And this is, yeah, it is helping me. I feel like sometimes using gender inclusive terms, like I've said, somehow in the South, we managed to nail it with y'all. Um, that is <laughs> y'all. It is so much better than, uh, you know, cause y'all is even more inclusive than ladies and gentlemen and something that not everybody thinks about because ladies and gentlemen doesn't necessarily include gender nonconforming people. Um, I like it. I, I think you're right. I think it's sort of a primer almost for people who are trying to learn how to do better for everyone. It's really, it's broken up into three very no-nonsense sections. The first part one is what to know 
part two is what to say and part three is what to do. And you just really can't get any plainer than that, you know, for those of us who are trying to learn. Is it something where you need to read it from beginning to end? Is it a book where you can come back and, or because a particular situation has come up and you need a resource to handle it better? I mean, I feel like if you're going to pick it up, you should read it from start to finish, but it's also a good book to put some flags in it. Like I have a ton of flags in mind for like talking points and things that I wanted to go back and reference really quickly. So, but it doesn't read like a story or anything. I'm sorry, Shirley, I stole your book. No, you didn't. You're totally right. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, Katrina, she's right. I really think as a whole, it's a more effective read. But she's also right. There's tons of charts and other things in here that are going to help you. Like here's a chart for common neo-pronouns versus she and he. And so it gives a list of pronouns here that you can use. And here's another one for she, he, she, and they, and different variations of those pronouns. So it, it does have things you can pull out of it when you, when you need them popcorn style. But I agree with Erin that it's sort of better as a whole because it changes your whole outlook. As when you read the whole thing, it helps to change your whole outlook and your personal practices. So I'm super excited that y'all told me about this book today because one thing I think is the timeliness of it is really important. My first master's degree is actually in women's and gender studies, but that was 15 years ago. And the study of like the knowledge base around gender has grown vastly in the last 15 years. So thank you for letting me know. I'm going to pick it up as, you know, kind of an update to, you know, some foundational work I did in grad school, but I'm sure is a lot different now. The other thing that I really like is that when we first looked at this book for our book study, I emailed Dr. Ayrton to kind of find out like, hey, can we contact you? Can we Skype with you? Can we email you questions? And they were very like, yes, to all of that. Um, I think because this is a person that published this and, and teaches this to potential teachers and wants to be accessible, you know, as an author. So is and it I for like, te teachers or is it something for the shelf or just for everybody? I think it's for everybody. He just, his, he's a professor and teaches future teachers, I think is what Aaron was referring to. Yeah. I just kind of meant that, you know, when I emailed, yeah, I was like, I a librarian can you help me or, or like, can we contact you in case we have questions? Cause I explained to them that like, we're doing this as a book study kind of thing. So it's definitely not like a, this is a gender guide for educators, but because of the fact that Dr. Ayrton teaches potential teachers as a teacher, 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 I like this. And apologies, a second ago, I did it again. I called Dr. Ayrton he instead of they, and see, this is why I need to read this book and work on my own personal practices. And I think that that's powerful is when we recognize the roles that we play and how we can change or make somebody's day based on a, a simple word. I mean, that's a simple change and that can show acceptance and love to someone that might need it. Yes. And Shirley, like going back to when you talked about the 57 bus, you know, Sasha used they mm -hmm. and them pronouns and right. it's, it's an adjustment. It's a shift in language and that's, that takes work. It does. Again, reading the book and, and talking about the book and telling other people about the book is part of doing the work on top of shifting our own language 
It's not just, you know, you have it. You're, we're all working on it. We're working. Yeah, but I'm, I definitely still am, as you can see. <laughs> okay, so I'll lead into my book. This is Laura, um, and I'm following this. I read Sadie uh, by Courtney Summers, and it's actually a pretty easy segue to talk about Sadie after talking about gender because there are so many gender issues raised within Sadie, which is one of the things that made me love it. Also issues of poverty and as well. So basically the story of Sadie and at full disclosure, I actually listened to Sadie. I didn't read it. And let me tell you, if you can listen to this audiobook, listen to the audiobook because the story is this. Audiobooks um, are reading, Laura. Audiobooks are reading. Okay, so I read this with my ears. Good. Um, so, and if you have the opportunity to read this book with your ears, I strongly encourage you to do it because here's kind of the storyline. Basically, it's told from alternating perspectives. And one perspective is a guy that is working on a podcast and actually producing a podcast and produces a podcast about these two girls. One of them is known to be dead. She was a runaway and ended up being killed. And then the other alternating perspective is from the perspective of Sadie, who is also missing. Uh, we don't know where Sadie is. But throughout the course of this book, we know that Sadie is out and we know what Sadie is doing. And she is planning to get vengeance on somebody that she's trying to track down that she blames for her sister's death. So it's an incredibly interesting story just on its own, but being able to listen to it was really cool because you got to hear those, it's, you know, kind of like based on the serial style podcasts, you got to actually hear that acted out and then going back and forth between like the investigator trying to figure out where the girls are and actually knowing what Sadie is doing and up to it was really interesting. So full disclosure, I also read it with my ears because I had, I actually had an arc of it, I think a long time ago and everything that I read about it said, you have to listen to this book. I think everyone that I know that has listened to it is like, oh, don't even read it with your eyes. Like definitely listen to the audio because the full cast is incredible. I loved it. Um, I listen to books when I'm running. <laughs> Cause it's easier for me to zone out that way. And I went like extra far on the days that I was listening to Sadie just because I was like totally into it. And I love the shifting of the sounds from the podcast to the story. Yeah. I started Sadie on Sunday night and what is today? Wednesday morning. Yeah. And I'm done with it. Wow. So, and you know, it was like, seven or eight hours or something like that. So I stayed up late two nights in a row listening to this and I may have taken a few extra errands in the car um, <laughs> to try to get through this book because it was amazing. It was gritty. It was. It and was I think gritty. even, I, this is going to be a book. Uh, I have a, I have a really strong feeling for like this is a book that I'm going to be able to sell to students to read. Although interestingly, when I've been talking, I've had a couple people already like check it out. But one thing is most of my students aren't really familiar with serial and other like crime podcasts like that. So in one way, I feel like maybe it's geared a little bit more towards 
us as adults that maybe listen to cereal or something similar to it because my my students when I've asked them didn't know even then though when I explained to them what it was they were like oh that sounds really cool like they're definitely biting on the recommendation so I always love I feel really strongly that this is gonna like I need to buy more copies for my library one's not gonna cut it yeah as a middle school librarian I wouldn't put it on my shelf I don't think but I you know Uh, yeah I wouldn't either as a grown woman in my late 30s who can read whatever I want, I liked it. <laughs> yeah. I w- yeah, I definitely would not put it on a middle school shelf. There's some, you know, heavy issues in there and violence. Yeah. And, and yeah, basically it's definitely a YA. Well, my book also dealt with the power of blame and self-blame, though. I and This is Katrina, and I'm going to be talking about Tristan Strong, Punches a Hole in the Sky by Kwame Mbalia, and it's definitely a middle grade book, and I loved it. It begins with a boy who lost his first boxing match, and he's upset with himself because he didn't live up to his dad's standards. But um, then you come to find out that he's also struggling with the loss of his best friend, and he feels grief and regret because he wasn't able to save his friend. And all he has left from his friend is his friend's journal, that his journal and that he and his best friend were always writing in and telling the stories of their Nana, their grandmothers. So something strange happened because a bizarre sap-filled creature stole his journal. And of course, Tristan decides to chase him and ends up breaking the divide between the magical underworld filled with folk tales that have come to life. John Henry, Br'er Rabbit, and of course my favorite, Anansi, the trickster spider. This begins a quest with adventures, new friends, and self-discovery, all the while learning about African-American folktales and through the oral tradition. And since, of course, Anansi is in it, you know some fun trickster is going to happen. I love that I saw Kwame, the author, speak at Tween's Read, and now when I was reading the book, every time Gum Baby would share or speak in the book, I heard Kwame's voice in the intonation that he used. There was amazing imagery in the book where I felt like I was part of the story. And at the very end, I love that there are these lessons and messages about everyone has something to prove, even if it's just to themselves, and overcoming grief and the power that memories have and what we do with memories. And so the lessons were great. Um, the adventure was powerful, and you know me, once I get past the first 30 pages or so of the exposition, I'm on it, and I didn't put it down, and I read all of it in one sitting, um, after the first 30 pages, anyway. <laughs> so, I really did enjoy it, and I love learning about all these um, folktales that I have already knew about, but hearing uh, more information about them made me want to go up and look a few more that I was unaware of. I love that. It, you this is Aaron and I'm not a big fantasy ish type person. And usually when I see that kind of cover, I'm like, "Mm, that's not for me, but I'll recommend it to people. But because of the folk tales that you just told me that were worked in, I love those. I am not a person of color, but grew up hearing a lot of those African-American folk tales and Bray rabbit and all that stuff. And that just kind of speaks like I'm, I want to read it. You just got me to want to read a fantasy book. I agree. I almost never read fantasy and it's 
probably I'm not going to read it, but I would definitely recommend it. And I do like, it was interesting. Like it was redeeming to me. Like I really don't like fantasy. Like it's hard for me to even focus when somebody's talking about a fantasy book, but the redeeming part of that to me was definitely uh, that they were bringing in folktales. And what is that book? It was another middle grades book last year and the guy did it, but with folktales from his origin. And he was like, was of some Latin American origin. Um, it was called like Charlie. Charlie and, what? Was it Ventura? No, no. It was like, oh, it's like so Charlie Hernandez and the League of Shadows. Yes. Yeah. Was it similar to that? Because I know that that was kind of fantasy-ish and it like, weaved in a lot of folk tales. I think more and more people are starting to weave their cultural stories into fictional titles for middle and high school grade kids, which I think is great. You know, I learned a lot about Egyptian mythology from reading Rick Riordan's Red Pyramid series. And I also appreciate that Rick Riordan is starting to help authors get published to share their cultural stories in, in fictional and fantasy format too. And this is also a Disney book. And so... So was the Charlie book. And this is a Rick Riordan Presents book as well. And I just loved it. I could definitely see some of my kids, boys in particular, who are trying to figure out who they are and trying to, you know, get past this notion of who they're supposed to be. And that's what... I mean, he doesn't want to be a hero at the beginning of the book. He says, I'm not a hero. I don't want to be a hero. I'm not going to help you. And then as the book progresses, he realized to do what is right and he's because he has a purpose, he has a cause. The reason he lost the fight was because he was just fighting. He didn't have a reason behind him fighting. I thought that was very powerful as well. Yeah. Last, I have to go now. There's All right. Bye. I miss your book, whatever it is. So I'm Erin, and I'm going to go last today, and I'm going to talk about Justin A. Reynolds' debut novel called Opposite of Always. For some reason, I thought I had this book on my shelf, but I apparently don't but maybe I need it. It's a little more high school, but definitely still a book that I would put into the hands of an eighth grader. Not because it's super, super mature, but there's a little bit of foul language and a little bit of um, a few like kind of sexual references in there. So Opposite of Always starts like a realistic fiction read. There's the kid Jack and he's our main character. He's got two best friends, Francisco, who he calls Franny and Jillian. Well, he kind of sometimes feels like the odd man out because he, Francisco, and Jillian have been best friends forever. And then Francisco and Jillian started dating and he thought that he was just in love with Jillian. So he and Jillian, they're in high school, they're seniors. They end up at a university that they're checking out. They both end up at this party and he's standing near some stairs and there's a girl named Kate who approaches him and basically says like, hey, you're blocking these stairs. He looks at her and just thinks like, this is it. This is the person that is just, I am meant to be with. So they end up hanging out like all night and he can't get her out of his mind. And they actually end up, even though she's a freshman in college and he's a high school senior, they start dating a little bit. He asks her to prom and she stands him up for prom. Basically, you kind of find out that she is ill. And that's why she ends up standing up for prom because she has sickle cell and some days she feels great and some days she does not. Turns out she ends up in the hospital. She dies. He's distraught. 
he has an accident at his house where he basically thinks he breaks his neck. When he wakes up, it's four months earlier the night that he meets Kate. So he's basically, re, he's Groundhog Daying, right? He's reliving his situation over and over again because at one point, he feels like he was sent back to save Kate. So his second time around, he basically just ditches his friends, his family, everybody in his life for Kate. Turns out that that's not necessarily the right answer either. So he keeps going back to redo and try to redo all while his best friend is feeling neglected, his best friend, his father gets out of prison, and sometimes Jack is there for him, sometimes he's not. At one point, he ends up kind of ruining what Francisco and Jillian had. So he hurts some people, but saves some people every single time, and he can't keep, like, he has to figure out each time, okay, where did I go wrong? And what do I need to do again? And I do appreciate that, like, on one of the last rounds of his repeating the four-month thing, he, like, he watches Groundhog Day as homework to find out what to do. And he's like, you know, I watched it a little bit because Bill Murray, but a little bit because I needed, I needed to learn some things, you know, about what to do if you keep having to repeat the same few months or a few days or scenarios over and over and over again. So I kind of appreciated that he even, like, brought the movie up in there. I liked it. It was a good, compelling read. I could always tell I'm like, oh, he's about, something's about to happen to him and he's going to end up four months earlier. But it was a great, especially for a debut novel. I, it was compelling. It kept me interested. And because Jack did things differently every time, it didn't feel like I was reading the same pages over and over again. Because I've read a few books where someone has to keep going back and I'm like, oh, it's like this. I've already read this. And I didn't feel that way when I was rereading Jack's redos, right? What an interesting book. First of all, I love the movie Groundhog Day. It's definitely in like my top 10 of my all-time favorite movies. I think it's hilarious. Um, and I, I know you can't answer this question, but I'm dying to know if you ever got it right or not. Like, what was the answer? And like, so I think that that, like, you really did hook me on that and that I really want to read it. And it sounds like it's something that would definitely fit on a high school shelf because, I mean, we're talking about a senior. Would you put it on an, your intermediate shelf? I, I feel like I'm going to buy it. I mean, there, there, there are a few F-bombs in there, but lots of books have those. And there are a couple of little, like, sexual innuendo type jokes, but that's not really, like, a part of the story. Right. I mean, really nothing that a lot of 13, 14-year-olds aren't saying anyway. So um, I think Justin Reynolds was at the North Texas Teen Book Festival when I went last year. And that's the first that I learned of this book. So he's conveniently located next to Jason Reynolds on a shelf. So we have that book. Oh, do you? Yeah. yeah. Um, Or it's on order. Yeah. So when I finished it, I always read the author's notes and everything. So and I looked up some stuff on his website. He's had like a million different jobs and he was a nurse and everything. This is his debut novel. As always, I really loved in the end when he thanked his mom for basically instilling a love of books in him. He thanked specific teachers in his lives, and he also like thanked the library for giving him solace. And I yeah. just, of course, it was like, oh. Yeah, that definitely did jump to top of my to-read list for sure. And I love debut authors. Like, it it makes me so excited when I read something. I'm reading something right now by a debut author uh, that I'm super excited about finishing reading. And 
So I just love waiting and watching to see, you know, what happens next, what books they come up with next. And there've been a couple people lately that I've been super impressed with because I already talked about Tiffany Jackson, Tiffany D. Jackson, but they're not telling the same story over and over. And then who wrote, I should know this, who wrote uh, With Fire on High? Uh, Nick Stone, is that right? Yes. Those are two totally different stories and really good stories. And so I just love watching authors develop. Although one of the saddest library moments, it's not a moment, but one of the saddest things as librarians, as a librarian I've experienced is there was this book called The Miseducation of Cameron Post. And it was by, oh, I, I should know her name. I'll look at it. I read that one like eight years ago. I know. It's like, ago, and I loved it. It is but. so old. And I mean, at this point, it's so old. I loved it when I read it. But here's the thing. And, and like, I was a new librarian when it came out. And I'm like, I'm going to follow this author. I cannot wait until like her next book comes out. And I've checked back and back. It's Emily M. Danforth, but she does not capitalize any of the letters in her name, kind of like okay. Bell Hooks doesn't. But anyway, I go to Emily M. Danforth's website like at least once a year, and and she hasn't run anything else, and it makes me so sad. So, oh, it, it really I, does. I feel that way too when I discover. Uh, I mean, not that I've discovered them. Obviously, they're published. Someone <laughs> else discovered them first. But I felt that way, like yeah, when Tiff, especially like with Tiffany D. Jackson, because like I when I read The Hate You Give, you know, obviously that was Angie Thomas's first book, but everybody was reading it when I read it. So when I picked up like Tiffany D. Jackson, when I picked up Nick Stone's first book, and I was like, ooh, I'm on to the beginning of something. You know, it's like I don't know. I feel that way also when I discover a band that like they just you know released their debut album or whatever. And I'm like, I can't wait to see where they go from here. Cause right. you kind of like watch like how their craft is going to grow and evolve and change. So I'm, I'm super excited to see if and what uh, Justin A. Reynolds comes up with next. I'm not going to get mad. I'm I didn't not mad. If they write one book and that's it. Like maybe they only had one story to tell or had to go down a different career path, couldn't get another. I mean, there are many, many reasons that someone might not publish a second book, but I, like you, I love getting in on the beginning of someone's published author career so yeah. that I can see where they go from there. Yeah. Absolutely. Makes me feel like I got in on something special. <laughs> yeah. I think the band analogy is perfect, right? Because like when, you know, like a kid came in the library the other day wearing a Foo Fighter shirt, I was like, oh yeah, I was going to their shows when I was in high school. You know, like I was like super proud of that. Yeah. I feel that way right now about Orville Peck. He's like a <laughs> country artist on an indie label. And I was like, I saw him for $15 at White Oak. You just wait. He's going to blow up. That's awesome. Yeah. Why didn't I get to see Lizzo before she blew up? I'm mad about that. I missed that boat. She was from here. How did I miss that? I don't know. Apparently a lot of people did, girl. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. It was a good um, conversation. Thanks for chatting. Yeah. Thanks for listening.